0: So we've been doing a series here. And the series is, you see the posters around, Experiencing God. It's a series on the Holy Spirit. And perhaps the big truth that I want us grasped by is this reality that God... Is to be experienced. We are to experience Him. To be to be felt. And well, um, someone might wonder, what does that actually mean? What does it feel like? what What are we talking about when we speak of experiencing God? I'm going to read a passage, and we'll talk about this a little more. This is, this is the first five verses of Romans chapter 5. It goes like this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So here we have words about God's love being poured poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And this begins to touch on what I want you to understand as far as what it means to experience, to to, to feel, to experience God. And someone still might ask the question, how how does that work? What's going on when you experience God? Is it just this feeling of ecstatic emotions that just comes upon you, this feeling? And, you know, it got me thinking. um, (laughs) Thank you. There was a time in my life that was marked by um, addictions, uh, drugs. And if you're surprised by that, if you haven't heard that story before, if you're surprised by that, I can tell you my life was much worse than that. That was just some things on the surface. Um, the real, um, I'm going use this word, evil, the real evil of my life at, at that time was, was things mm-hmm. deeper. But leave that alone, um, I certainly use a lot of drugs at this time. And I was also a student of psychology, and I took a class, I remember, on... On the psychoactive chemicals, on drugs, how how drugs worked in our body. And you see, God has wired us in such a way that when we get good news, you know, you lost your wallet, but then you found it, or you thought you were going to get a bad grade on a test, then you got a good grade, good news. You're really nervous to to ask this pretty girl out on a date. You think she's going to say no, but she says yes. It's like good news And God has wired us where we have these these, uh, chemicals, dopamine, endorphins, these uh, neurotransmitters and such that can flood us with feelings of excitement, dopamine, and, and reward, pleasure, endorphins. We can feel these feelings. And so what drugs do, and this can be very dangerous, drugs can... Mimic and release endorphins when there's no actual good news. There's no real good reason to experience pleasure and excitement because there's no actual external substance or good news, but you can feel it anyways just by taking the drugs, and it can totally hijack your life and, and cause, cause tremendous problems. But, but God has made us this way. In the sense where, when we receive good news, there are feelings, it's an experience. And so, when it comes to experiencing God, it's not like the drugs where there's no actual good news and substance. You see, there is a substance, there is a truth, there's a good news that unlocks this feeling. And that's what the Apostle Paul is gonna get into in the verses that follow. What he just said here is, in verse five, the love of God is poured out, that's a word, poured out, so it's not just like a little bit, poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And then in these verses that follow, he's gonna explain in the truth, the good news that brings forth these feelings. Now, pause for a moment because this, this part is a disclaimer. Okay? It's a disclaimer. This is what's going to follow and the goal everything I say, hear this everything I say, the goal is for you to experience the poured out love of God. Okay? Everything I'm going to say That's the goal. And I say that as a a disclaimer of sorts because we are going to travel through a little bit of a dicey water here in the sense... uh, Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit to us. I think that's John 14 through 16 when he said he was leaving. He said someone else was coming, the Holy Spirit. And in his introduction to us... Of the Holy Spirit in this, the first thing he said about the Spirit's ministry is when the Spirit came, what he was going to do was convict the world in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. The goal, the ultimate goal, is the love poured out in your hearts. But sometimes, when the Holy Spirit is working, that is something that must take place. When he comes, he's gonna convict the world in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Do you know that this, these words that we read, the Bible, the scriptures, you know they're called the sword of the spirit? Isn't that odd? Isn't that odd, the sword of the spirit? Like it's a weapon. The, the Bible's a weapon. Well, it's not ultimately to hurt people, right? No. But what do we mean when we say the Bible is the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Holy Spirit? I think it's Hebrews 4, Hebrews 5, you find your answer. The Word of God is a double-edged sword, piercing, piercing soul and spirit and revealing the thoughts and the intentions Do you see it's the same truth? The Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus said was going to convict the world. You see, there's truth that falls in our hearts through the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit. That can be unsettling. It's unsettling to have your heart pierced, to soul and spirit and have the secret thoughts of your heart revealed, that's not comfortable. Yet nevertheless, that is one of the marks of the Spirit's ministry. But ultimately, the goal is not to hurt you. The goal is to bless you with an experience of the poured out love of God. But in order to get there, in order to get there, You must allow yourself to allow your heart to receive what the Spirit is saying. Okay? So is my disclaimer understood? Can we dive in? The goal is to experience God. The goal is to experience the poured out love of God. Father God, I pray that that would be Our experience today, your poured out love. And Holy Spirit, if your desire is to convict, let it be not to condemn, but let it be to bless, Lord. Do your work um, in us this morning. Amen. Okay, uh, so he says, well, first, actually, Romans 5, verse 1 says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I talked about that two weeks ago. Um, If you didn't hear that message, make a note to go back and listen to it. This simple message of justification by faith is, is, the, is the simplest, simplest truth that is so hard for us to accept. It's the simple, simple truth of Jesus is our savior. And that it's a free gift to be received through faith. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. And he says this, we'll come back to all these verses, I think. And he says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. And then when you keep reading, you pick up in verse 6, he says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Okay, so um, in, in the, the, the translation we read, it says in the beginning of verse six, it says, you see, it's, it's, a, it's also translated just like four, like it's a what you would call a conjection Um, and, or uh, actually I think the word is conjunction. It's a word that's basically tying what he just said and what he's about to say. And I just bring that up to tell you he just talked about the experience of the love of God poured out on our hearts and now he's going to talk about the truth, the good news, the substance behind that excitement and pleasure and experience. Right? Because I told you it's it's based on a truth that is understood and received in our hearts. So you want the love of God poured out in your hearts? I hope so. You want this experience that's better than anything else you're gonna find? I hope so. This is the truth by which you will find it, truly receiving this truth. And I do tell you that it's not a super easy truth to receive. Let's really hear what he's saying. Um, The verse that's perhaps the most well-known verse eight, he says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, It's really important that we understand what words mean, otherwise communication fails short, falls short, right? Let's really understand that we understand what words mean. If, if we read that while we, were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and that's how we can understand the love of God, that's how he demonstrates his love, then it is definitely necessary that we understand what it means to be a sinner in this context. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does it mean to be a sinner in this context? in this description. So, have you ever been, have you ever been wronged by someone, like hurt by someone perhaps, in like a real personal way, maybe a family member? I know what you're thinking, no, not my family, it doesn't happen in my family, but it happens in my family from time to time, okay? Let's just, if you've ever been like hurt in like a really deep way, and you love this person, you don't really want revenge. You don't really want payment, retribution. But in order to to be reconciled in a real heart union, one thing you do need is you need the other person to acknowledge to acknowledge what happened. Because otherwise, any attempt of reconciliation is is gonna be shallow. You don't even know what you've done to me. You don't get it, you don't understand. Sure, we can hang out, we can be friendly. But there's a disconnect here. What you need is simply to acknowledge. Not for the purpose of revenge, but for the purpose of reconciliation. So it is with God. As sinners, for us to be reconciled to him, we need to acknowledge that we're sinners because he is righteous. He lives righteous. And for us to live in him, we need to acknowledge sin. But here's what we do. Instead of acknowledging it, we kind of downplay it. And this is how we downplay it. What does it mean to be a sinner? How many times have I heard someone say something in the tune of, we're not perfect, we make mistakes? That's not what it means. What does it mean to be a sinner? Well, you can see exactly what it means because he says it two verses later. In, In verse eight, he says, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10 says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him. See, there you see the truth, isn't it? While we were God's enemies. Isn't that kind of strong? Isn't that kind of st- strong language? God's enemies? While we were God's enemies. How does that fall on your heart? Do you think to yourself, well, not me. I've, I've, that's never lived inside of me. I've never... I've never had God's enemy. That's never, no, not me. And beloved, can I say this? If that's your reaction, you cannot know the love of God poured out because it's dependent on understanding this. The way that God demonstrates his love is by sending his son to die for us while we were yet his enemies. But if you don't understand that you have lived as an enemy of God, then the love of God is not going to be felt. You know, we saw this. We we, we saw this in Luke chapter 7. Jesus is invited to have dinner at the home of a man named Simon. Not Simon Peter, if you know the, the Bible. Simon, this Simon was a Pharisee and there was also this woman that found her way there and she was known as a sinner and she she was a sinner like all of us are and she was weeping at the feet of Jesus and Simon is watching her thinking looking down on her you know thinking that this is a sinful woman and can't believe Jesus is letting her just do that. And Jesus, being God, could see the heart of Simon, and he says, Simon, I have a question that I'd like to ask you. There were two people that owed money to a certain moneylender. One of them owed a lot, one of them owed a little. Both of them were forgiven. Who's gonna love that money lender more? And Simon says, Well, I suppose the one with the greater debt. And Jesus says, You've answered correctly. And then, in a roundabout way, he says, Simon, you see this woman who's crying at my feet? It should be you. You should be the one doing this. In other words, Simon, you're one of the people with the great debts. You think you're at a little debt, you're at a great debt. And the reason you don't love, The reason you don't know the love of God is because you think your debt is small. But if you understood that your debt was big, you would love like this woman is loving. Beloved, in order for us to grasp the love of God poured out, what we need to do is acknowledge, come to terms with who we are apart from God. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? We're going to go a little deeper here. Remember, our goal is to experience the love of God poured out. And my goal is comfort. My goal is not for you to be unsettled. It isn't. But my goal is for you to be properly settled. Do you understand what I'm saying? Properly settled on the love of God, and if that means shaking you from a foundation that is not that, then I'm happy to do so. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? What is that talking about? That was three chapters earlier that this was brought up. The Apostle Paul said it this way. Because of your hard and unrepentant hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment is revealed. There are some things about Christian teaching that I think we hear, we nod our heads to, but perhaps we don't actually sit and think about and consider. And this is probably chief among them that there is a day of God's wrath. It's so out of fashion to talk about it. We think, we think that we want to reach people, we want to sound reasonable, and a day of God's wrath is not reasonable. So let's Let's pull back from those things and let's focus on some things that might be a little more strategic and how to reach people. Must I remind you that the person in the Bible that talked about hell more than anyone else by far is Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't have any of our understandings of hell. And take everyone in the Bible who ever mentioned it and Jesus talked about it 10 times more than any of them. And he told us, and he told us, This is whom who you should fear. Fear he who after death has the authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And someone will say to me, I'm a Christian. You don't need to talk about the wrath of God. You don't need to talk about hell. I've never really been concerned about those things. And I will tell you, if you've never been concerned about those things, you cannot know the love of God poured out because it's dependent on that. That's what he's saying precisely here. The love of God poured out is dependent on realizing this truth. We were enemies, we deserved his wrath, but instead he sent his son to give us life, to give us forgiveness. I've been reading history lately, biographies, and it's strange to me how I see the same story playing out in these people that God used greatly. Y'all heard of John Bunyan? Guy who lived 1600s. He's done more for the kingdom of God than just about anyone. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most read books in all history. Parents have been reading it to their children. My kids, they know the story. John Bunyan... John Bunyan, I started reading his autobiography. It's like a, I'm like 150 pages in. I'm like 150 pages in, and this is pretty much all we have so far. I'm sure there's more to it, but so far for 150 pages, years and years of years, John Bunyan wrestling with this reality that he's a sinner and the judgment of God is before him. John Bunyan is a man who knew the mercy of God and John Bunyan was certainly a man who was well acquainted, well acquainted with the reality that he was a sinner, an enemy, in need of mercy, very, very aware of the wrath of God. And God used him mightily as he learned more and more to rest upon this promise of mercy and grace. And he knew the love of God poured out. And as I was reading and thinking about John Bunyan, I was reminded of Martin Luther. If you know his story, he was a monk. So by all definitions, a very religious person. He was a monk. Perhaps I have some of his words, I do. I do. Martin Luther said this five hundred some years ago, though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. And he was reading Romans, the very book that we're in today. and coming upon this truth of God's grace being a gift through faith and not through works, to be received and not to be earned. He said, Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. And this idea of a heart being enlightened eyes open, set free by the reality of God's goodness and grace in light of the also very real reality of God's judgment and wrath. Here, here the love of God is poured out and and this, from this is where revival flows. I mean, what happened 500 years ago, beginning in... Wittenberg, Germany, it was a revival. And and if I fast forward a little bit, I've discussed the Great Awakening a number of times because the Great Awakening is was a time where the love of God poured out was experienced by many. So I came across this one story of this man named Jonathan Parsons. I read a little bit of his story this week. He was a pastor in Connecticut when the Great Awakening began to sweep the land. And he was a pastor, one historian said, regarding Jonathan Parsons. Um, In the beginning of his pastorate, he was... By all measures, unremarkable. <laughs> I just thought that was an interesting way of saying it. He was by all measures unremarkable. Well, what happened? Um, well, the Great Awakening began to sweep through the land. And this, this, this part here I gathered right from Wikipedia, actually. It says Jonathan Parson, he suffered increasing doubts about the reality of his conversion and the hazards of works as a basis for salvation. So let me just break this down for a little bit. He began to wonder, yes, 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 I'm a religious person. I'm a Christian. I've always been a Christian. I mean, my last name is Parsons, which, which means pastor. But do I really know him? Am I really born again? It's, you can see the very same struggle that Luther had 200 years earlier, that John Bunyan had. Do I really know him? This question of assurance, gospel assurance, do I know his grace? Will I be counted among his people on the day of wrath? Jonathan Parsons was, was wondering these things, and this is what it says. After a severe and prolonged mental struggle, the doctrine of salvation by faith burst as a new light on his mind. His preaching was marked by greater earnestness and simplicity. He became, in the words of one contemporary, a burning and shining light. This, is, this, is, this here is what one witness said of Jonathan Parson's preaching after, after the light of revival shone upon his heart. With what outstanding terrors have I heard him represent the torments of hell and the imminent amazing danger of the impenitent sinner? With what glowing colors and sweetly surprising language would he paint the glories of heaven and describe the holy elevated joys of immortality? In what melting strains would he represent the sufferings of Christ and his undying love for sinners? Such was the apparent fervor of his spirit and the tender emotion of his compassionate heart that he would sometimes appear as a flame of fire and then all dissolved in tears. And what this is describing is the overflow of a man whose heart has been touched by the gospel, the overflowing love of God. Or consider John Newton. John Newton. The, we sang it. We sang it. We just got done singing "Amazing Grace." T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace that sent me free. It was grace that opened my eyes to the reality. When the Holy Spirit comes, He'll convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. "'Twas grace that did that in me. "'Twas grace that opened my eyes. "'And then grace that set me free "'as I was able to gaze upon the cross. "'Mercy and love poured out. "'While we were yet sinners, He died for us.'" Um, A little more, a little more history. So, so this is what uh, Jonathan Parsons, this is just a description. Oh, actually, we went a little bit. The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening came at a time when religious devotion was empty and instead what there was in the land was empty dead rituals and the enlightenment was spreading through the land and there's good things about the enlightenment and less good things about the enlightenment but basically people were questioning everything and not just and and questioning the 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 whole idea of like why should i be going to church why should i be doing this stuff and which is not a terrible question to ask to be honest i mean if your faith can't stand up to questions then then what is it and so, anyways, there was not in the land a widespread religious devotion, to say it another way. And and the Great Awakening came, and this is a quote, actually, that I came across this week that I thought that was interesting, if I can find it. Um, so... I realize we're in Canada, but I'm just going to assume that you know who Benjamin Franklin is. Um, My Americanness comes out every now and then. Um, But this is what Benjamin Franklin had to say about the Great Awakening. He says, it was wonderful to see the change soon made in the manners of our inhabitants from being... Thoughtless or indifferent about religion, it seemed as if the world were growing religious so that one could not walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families of every street. That's amazing to me. But I want you to understand the essence of what was happening during the Great Awakening. Um, Go back to Jonathan Parsons. This is something that he said... um, uh, this is, this is something he said. The summer following my ordination, there was a great effusion of the Holy Spirit upon the people. There t- appeared to be an uncommon attention to the preaching of the Word of God and a remarkable concern about salvation. Twas a general inquiry among the middle-aged and the youth. What must they do to be saved? Great numbers came to my study under manifest concern about their souls. Do you see the mark of what was happening? It wasn't simply just devotion. It was an awareness that there's a God in heaven, there's a judge, and an awareness, I'm a sinner. What must I do to be saved? Do you see, it's the very truth that's being spoken of in Romans five. It's very truth that, that we could call the conviction of the Holy Spirit falling upon hearts. Oh, okay, okay, I wasn't gonna go into all this, But I saw that spider. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I saw that spider. Hold on. The man who is most known for the Great Awakening was Jonathan Edwards. Here's something he said about... I'll get to the spider, by the way. Here's something he said about... um, This is just a day in the life, okay? In the after part of this day, I discoursed with a young person in agony over the distress of sin and an interest in the Savior. Near the evening, I went to see a young man that had concluded for a time not to go to church upon the afternoon the day before, fearing he should cry out in public so as to interrupt the hearing of others. This guy was so afraid of church because he knew that he would cry out with fear. His convictions were so powerful that it seemed to him impossible to avoid it. Before I came to my house, I met another, some young person under concern, on their way to visit me. Upon invitation, they and some others soon came into the house after me, one following the example of another, till there were about a 100 persons assembled. The Lord was pleased at this time to bow the heavens and to come down by an effusion of the blessed spirit in the most powerful and surprising manner. The house seemed full of the presence of God and almost all present appeared somehow awed and influenced. I now heard many sinners making the most mournful declarations of their exceeding sinfulness before God and the infinite danger of eternal damnation. To me, it seems very much that revival, the experience of the love of God poured, upon, poured out upon many, is very much connected with awareness of a holy God and his judgments. I want the first one. I want the love of God poured out. Jonathan Edwards, he's most known for a sermon called Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And in it, he describes what I saw when I came up here today. First, I saw this spider walking through here, and I thought to myself, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go there. And then I see Jeff take it away, and as he's walking, he's holding it, and there's a strand of spider web and the spider's hanging like two feet below it, his arm. If you've ever read Sinners in the Hands of an Anger God, he describes a spider hanging from a spider web so thin over the fires of hell. And he says, it's only by God's mercy that you have not yet fallen in. And with with passion, he pleads for people to consider the cross and don't dismiss it. Okay. I will to be honest with you all. Um, my ministry, what I do is marked by my own life. And... 21 years ago, when my eyes were open to the goodness and the love of God, to the mercy, they were also open to the reality that God is good in judging the world. Jonathan Edwards also had a sermon called The Justice of God in the Damnation of Sinners. And the idea is that God is good. And damning sinners and sending them to hell. Those are strong words. God is good in that. And, beloved, that's what my eyes were open to. Let me just return. Let me, let me return to Romans, because look what he says in verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's understand the logic, because, beloved, I do want to comfort you. I I really don't want you being unsettled. I want you to be comforted, but once more, I want you to be comforted on the rock, I want you to be settled on solid ground. That's why I am willing to talk about such harsh things, even though I feel in my spirit that, that people grit their teeth at such truths. Um, if I can even say it, it's a, it's a bit scary feeling like this is the message God has for me to share. Um, I know that it's, it's not entirely welcomed by our modern ears but I want you to be comforted. I do, I want you to be comforted. And so listen to what he says. For if while we, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Just, I want you to understand the logic of what he's saying here. God demonstrates his love that while we were at our worst, while our hearts were black, while we were enemies, he loved us so much to send his son so whoever would believe in him, whoever would acknowledge, whoever would say, Jesus, save me, Jesus, save me. If you feel if you feel the reality of the terrors of hell, which I think he should, to be honest, as sinners, we should hear Jesus when he says, yes, we should fear that. If you feel that reality... There is a remedy, you know. Call on him as Savior. Agree with him. Yeah, that's me. Call him as Savior. Because send his son to be our Savior for all who would believe in him. And here's, here's the logic. If he loved us so much when we were at our worst, now let's say you believe in him, but you still feel like John Bunyan did for many years as a Christian. You still are wrestling through These questions of, will I be safe on the day of judgment? Will I be safe? And this is the logic he says. And this is comfort. If he loved you so much when you were at your worst, now you believe in him. You believe in him as Savior. You've been reconciled. How much more will you be saved? Because I know you're still aware of your sins. I'm aware of my sins. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We still sin. But in Christ, we're no longer sinners. We were sinners, we were enemies. We still sin, but we're not enemies in Christ. Those who believe in him, we're not enemies. But when you were an enemy, he loved you so much, he sent Jesus, but now you're not an enemy. How much more are you gonna be saved? If he loved you so much then, how much more are you gonna be saved, having now been reconciled? Okay, I-, I know I'm over my time. Cheryl come up, I got like two more minutes. <laughs> Maybe not even. If we return to Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hear that. We've been justified by faith. We have peace. We have peace. If I've unsettled you, it's because I want you settled in this truth. I don't want you relying on any false notions that there's something good in you. I don't want you relying on any false notions that you're not that bad of a person. I want you understanding we're enemies apart from him, but in him we have peace. Let's hold to the solid ground. And he says these other things um, through whom we've been gaining access through faith. Um, let just skip ahead. Not only so, but we, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame. This is my final thing. When he says character here, it doesn't simply mean character the way we might think of it. Some translations say proven character, tested genuineness. That's what we're talking about. The hardships that we might walk through as Christians. The goal is ultimately to build our assurance that we are His. I'm just going to stop talking because I know there's questions because I've went all over the place today.
1: Usually we cut you off, and we're not going to do you questions, but today we do want to take some time just to explore what Charlie's been talking about. And so if you have any questions in the room, we have a mic coming around, so if you just want to raise your hand, and we'll point you out. And then, of course, we have the text line and the numbers on the screen if you'd like to text in either from home or from here. Any questions in the room? Oh, we have one at the back there. My question is, it's not on. Is the mic on? Test one, two, no. Okay, there we go. Good morning. My question is for Pastor Charlie. I believe that you came to faith while you were a philosophy major in university. Uh, Is it because you found that the, you thought you would find truth through studying philosophy, but you found them so lacking that you looked somewhere else?
0: You know something? When I was originally a philosophy major, and I would go and I would argue with Christians, on a heart level, I wasn't really looking for truth. And if you actually explore more of the book of Romans, Romans 5, we just read that he was when he says that we were enemies. If you read Romans 1, the reason is because on a heart level, we don't want truth. We want want sin, we wanna feel justified. Um, It's the pushing away of truth that actually um, separates us from God in that way. As a philosophy major, you could say that I was interested in truth to a point. I didn't really wanna hear about a God of righteousness. I hated that idea. I hated, hated the idea of a God of righteousness whom I should fear. Oh, how I hated that. And that's why I would go to Bible studies to laugh and ridicule these Christians because I so despised that idea. Um, but God had mercy.
1: Great. Okay, we have a question from Evange. I'm going to ask you this in, when we're, while we're waiting. Um, good word, Pastor Charlie. Could you explain the quote, God is good in condemning people. His goodness is demonstrated by sending his son while we were still enemies, loving, at our, loving us at our worst. Did you just contradict yourself?
0: Great question. Great question. God, justice is good. Can we agree that the justice is a good thing? And this is what I'm getting at. When I say that God is good in sending his enemies to hell, the reason that strikes against us, I think as there's something in us as sinners that that strikes us as unfair. And what I want you to understand is it is fair. It's even good. This is, this is the very truth that my eyes were open to. Oh, if only I could, if only I could communicate it. The, the best thing I can say now is that when we see justice being done, we clap our hands. Justice is a beautiful thing. That's justice. Here's something else that is also beautiful. Mercy. I it say it in Romans 9. Therefore, God hardens whom he hardens, and he has mercy on whom he has mercy. And he is good in both. God is good in his judgments, and he is good in his mercy. Um, That's not a contradiction. Those are both true. Um, If God decides not to give mercy, which he does offer mercy to all, but if he decides not to give mercy, that's not him being bad, that's not him being unjust. Um, but God is a God of mercy. But make no mistake, he's also a God of wrath. And both of these are good. Thanks. Um,
1: thank
0: you. Um, I'm going to work tomorrow morning. And I
1: know a lot of us are going to work or school.
0: Um, how do you broach the subject of enemy of God to a culture, a community around us where you drop that bomb and it's meh, you be you, I'll be me. Uh, I'm glad you found your truth, Uh, I got mine. How do you broach that subject? How do you engage with people in that? Okay, great. The answer I would give is with much love, sensitivity to the Spirit. Because here's what I really don't want to be. I don't want to be the guy who goes and stands on a street corner and just says, repent or burn. No, I honestly don't. But sometimes I will stand and listen to the preachers on the street corner. There's been times where I've stood and I've listened to someone literally on a corner thinking to myself, everything he's saying is correct. However, I don't know if anyone's listening and I don't even, I don't feel like this is really the best approach as a missionary. But what do we do as missionaries with great love and sensitivity? I've I've shared it before. One of the most remarkable things I've ever seen in my eyes was when I sat across the table from a guy whom I loved, a friend of mine, and he told me, he told me, you know, I'll never forget it. He said, I just talked to him on the phone two days ago. He said, uh, you know, you got your God stuff and it's really important to you. I believe in God, but God's kind of like on the back burner for me. He's not the most important thing in my life. But I think God's okay with that because I'm a good person. And with love, I looked him in the eyes and I said, some red flags just went up in my mind. The biggest red flag is you telling me that you're a good person. Because the Bible tells me that's not the case. And I'll never forget that I got done speaking and his jaw was literally open like that. The Holy Spirit fell on him and he said, you are right. And he's, he's, he's one of my best friends today, but I, it's like I watched the Holy Spirit fall on him and show him, no, you're not a good person. You need mercy. And that attitude... That is the attitude that keeps us from God. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And that's the attitude that that keeps us from relying on grace. So that's why I speak this way. That's what I want to unsettle you out of. This idea that I'm a good person, that's what keeps you from resting on the cross and knowing the love of God
1: poured out. So what faith muscles should we be flexing in order to live in this truth, in order to experience God's love? You
0: know, um, I find myself, I find myself uh, resonating with some of John Bunyan's story. And I, I hear about the passage that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. As in, Growing in this confidence of God's love, growing in the truth of the gospel. Um, a lot of times, it's as simple as meditating on these promises we have, these precious promises. I mean, there's there's been so many times where I have felt like the worst of sinners. And the devil, who is also called the accuser, is reminding me of all of my guilt. There's been so many times when that's been the case. And all I've had to exercise, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart, God, raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Meditating on these promises, letting these promises be your life, um, to truly walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is to walk in this reality. Um, so I, I would say one answer might be just to, to be meditating on the promises of God. And this truth that we have, we have this salvation as a gift.
1: How can we understand the tension of knowing God's judgments are good and His not wanting any to perish? How do we understand the tension of God's knowing—sorry, uh, of knowing that God's justice is good and yet lamenting those on a path to hell?
0: I, I love that. Um, I love that someone is feeling that tension because God Himself feels that tension. Jesus wept over Jerusalem said, how much, how much have I wanted to gather you in my arms, but you wouldn't? And specifically, if you read about what he's crying about is the judgment that's gonna come. The judgment is good, but that desire, that longing for sinners to come, that's also good. That's the heart of God. Oh, who was it? I can't remember who said it, but... If you can speak about the terrors of hell without a tear in your eye, there's something missing. Worse yet, and this, this, is, this is the worst, if I hear someone talking about the judgments of God with a smug face, what a distortion of the heart of God. What a... Um, What an abomination. Um, yeah, yes, we should. We should. There, there's a time to talk about the terrors of God, hell, but only, only with the heart of God who longs for sinners
1: to come. And sinners are welcome. Great. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your heart for us that you did not want to leave us in the sinful state that we were in, in the state of being an enemy of yours, but that you sent Jesus to die for us and to take our cross upon himself um, and to pay the penalty that we uh, were indebted to pay. And I just ask, Father, that you would allow us to leave here experiencing your love and walking in that love in a more deep way. Father, that you would give us not only an experience of your love for ourselves, but an experience of your love for others. And that as we uh, walk or talk about and think about how to um, express this to people who don't believe it, Father, that you would give us your grace, your love, your wisdom, your power, your courage, Father, that we would speak the truth in love, that we would emulate you and how you have approached us as we approach other people. And Father, I just pray that you would... Yeah, just work that deeper into our lives, but don't let us keep it for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.